I appreciate those words. I We have a mutual friend who once was introduced and he said, May God forgive you for saying all those things and may he forgive me for loving it so much. <laughs> it is really a privilege to be here. I love your pastors. They have become good friends. And uh, Keith and I first crossed paths as we were teaching at CDTs and um, just got to know each other. And, uh, and then Terry, that time we spent together, also ministered to me. Uh, what a dear brother he became to me. And um, I really appreciated that time. And let me say something to you. I was just telling uh, your pastor here earlier, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Beck and I were traveling home from North Carolina, going through Virginia, and we decided to stop at a particular church and, and uh, worship there as we were headed home. And uh, we got there a little bit late and sat down. And then, after everything was over, everybody got up and no one talked to us. And uh, I stood out in the foyer for a while, and absolutely, except one woman, no one even looked at us, much less talked to us. And I told Terry, you know what? This church really welcomed me. And people were very friendly and open and welcoming, and I appreciate that. And I want to encourage you with that. Those little things may not seem much, but they mean a lot. Um, They mean a lot. So... I want you to be encouraged as well. I hope you're encouraged by your pastors. I hope, I hope you are, understand that what you have here is something that's very rare. Men who believe the Word of God is sufficient and they preach it and they counsel it and they lead the way with the Word of God. Believe it or not, that is not a common thing. And the Lord, I think, has blessed you greatly with uh, Terry and Keith. Now, you know, I I don't want to give you too big of a head, but um, I appreciate these two guys, and I love them. Well, I've been asked to come and speak, um, and I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. You follow as I read this chapter, okay? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. When the Lord appeared to Abram and said, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, till still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Let's pray, shall we? God of heaven, now we are here to worship you by listening to your voice. And Father, I pray that your voice would be clear from the scriptures today. I pray that your voice would not just be clear but penetrate hearts. That your spirit would work in us to convict and encourage us, to help us that we might live a life that's pleasing to you and that exemplify what a disciple of Jesus is like. And so we pray, minister your word to us. If you don't minister it to us, Lord, we're wasting our time. But we're here to worship by listening to you. Speak now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of years ago, I stood at the foot of a friend of mine. I stood at the foot of the casket of a friend of mine as we committed his body to the ground. His name was Paul Savage. Paul lived his last months knowing that he had ALS, or what's commonly called Lou Gehrig's disease. But Paul was also a man of faith. Paul was a man who believed the promises of God. And that was particularly evident in the last months of his life. Because he believed that he was headed for glory, because he believed that Jesus was indeed the Redeemer who had purchased him, because he believed that he would actually rejoice in Jesus' presence, those last few months of his life he lived differently than most. He let everyone know, I've made it my goal to finish well. He said that to a number of people. Once the youth group went over to help with his yard and so forth, and when they were done, he gathered them around his chair. He was sitting in his living room. He gathered them around his chair, and he told them that young as they were, they needed to think about finishing well. He did not lose one ounce of joy in the whole ordeal. 
And he soldiered on, continued to share the gospel with anyone who would come and see him. But let's imagine for a moment that Paul was not a man of faith, was not living in light of God's promises, and his faith faltered. Now, that's not hard to do since we've seen other people's faith falter. Our faith has faltered more than we'd like to admit. Then I think we might have seen a man who turned into a frightened, despairing, angry man. We might have seen one who, instead of welcoming visitors, wanted to avoid everyone. A man who, instead of encouraging others, refused to see them. Maybe a weeping man who sat in his chair saying, why is this happening to me? Well, we want to look at a case study in faith this morning. Actually, in our text this morning, we have a case study of someone whose faith falters. Who is a man of faith, but his faith falters. Who for a a short time does not live by faith. And I want us to see this so that we can understand how we ought to live by faith. Now, as I've read, uh, our text today is is Genesis 12, verse 10 through 13, 1. But I read the whole chapter because I wanted you to see that Abram did have great faith. God said, I want you to go to this land. I'm going to give this land to you. I want you to go to this land. And what does he do? He believes those promises and uproots everyone and goes to that land. I mean, that's radical faith. That's, okay, God says to go. Um, I, I don't have any claim on that land. I, I don't know where I'm going, but I'll go wherever he tells me to go. That is unbelievable faith. But in our text this morning, beginning in verse 10, we see how this man of faith forgets the promises of God and embarks on a course of action that's going to reveal For the moment, if you will, his lack of faith. Now, if you want to get the point of this text, let me just say ahead of time, you've got to see that the main character here is not Abram, but God. Okay? I think that's real important for us to get. The main character is God, who remains true to his promises and his purpose. Now, what does God intend to do with this text? That's a question I always ask before I preach. What's God intend to do with this text? This text was not written centuries ago by Moses in order for us to get a history lesson. God wrote this centuries and centuries and centuries ago so that he would be speaking to you today. And what does God intend to do with this text? I would suggest that God intends to motivate you to live by faith, to help you live a life trusting God and His promises. Now, as you read this story, two questions come to mind. First is this. What happens when you do not trust God? What happens when you are not living by faith? And the second question is, can you trust God? Can you live by faith? Now, the the whole story of Abraham throughout the book of Genesis is propelled by Abraham's faith or lack of it. That seems to be the theme of the whole story of Abraham. And through a number of conflicts and difficulties, his faith is tested until near the end of his life you see a man who truly has a faith that is not faltering. 
And so when you think about Abraham in Genesis, think about the fact that it's a story of faith and how God brings conflicts and difficulties into his life in order to test and to grow faith of this man. And so here's the first. So the first question then, what happens when you do not trust God? Let's look at this. Verses 10 through 16. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the prince of princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's home house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. What happens when you don't trust God? Well, let's look at what happened with Abram. Abram has just entered the land, having come to Canaan, believing the promises of God. You see this radical faith in the man as he comes into Canaan. But Abram had barely pitched his tent in that land when he finds that the land is unable to support him and his family. Famine. What hope was there now for this great nation that God had promised? At the very beginning, the whole project seems to start falling apart. Do you see that? God promised in this land. He promised all those covenant promises that we see at the beginning. Oh, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to do this. And now he's in the land and he's, he's thinking he's going to starve. And wh- what's going to happen? Now, if, if I stay here, the whole project's going to fall apart. Right? Abram's faith is at once put to the test. And he falters. He leaves for Egypt. Now, just before he enters Egypt, he realizes he faces an insurmountable problem. You know what that is? He has a drop-dead gorgeous wife. I know some of you guys are saying, I wish I had that. No, you're not saying that. But he has this problem. He's got a wife who does not look like she's 65. She is gorgeous. And some Egyptian finding out that she's married to Abram would kill him and take her. And if he dies, what happens to the promise of the seed? You ever thought that? If he dies, what happens to the whole thing that God had promised? If I die, then this promised seed that God's talking about, it's not going to happen. Right? So he comes up with a plan. Look. We'll tell everyone you're my sister. Now, let me say this. I do not believe that Abraham was willing to sell Sarai's honor just to save his own skin. If he told everyone she was his sister, then any potential suitor would have to negotiate with him for her hand. And that might buy him some time. And they might be able to figure out what to do and he could save his life if necessary. He's saying, if they know you're my wife, the only way to get you is to kill me. But if they think you're my sister, then they'll at least negotiate with me. And that might give us some time 
to escape these problems. But then he hits a snag he hadn't counted on. Someone gets interested in his wife who does not need to negotiate anything, right? This is probably the most powerful man in the world at the time. He doesn't have to negotiate at all. He can just take what he wants. So sure enough, Abram's entourage enters Egypt, and Sarai doesn't escape the notice of Pharaoh's staff. And so they report to Pharaoh about this really beautiful woman. She has unbelievable beauty, they tell him. And so the ruler of Egypt takes her and puts her in his harem. (laughs) With all his great plans, Abram now appears to be powerless. None of his plans have worked. All this brilliant strategy is falling apart. Now, Pharaoh's not unreasonable. He graciously gives Abram a dowry for his sister. So he's not an unreasonable man. But at this point, my guess is, Abram is doing this. Ah! How did we get here? How did this happen? What? (sighs) Right? As his wife leaves the tent and rides away with Pharaoh's men. Well, Abram, Abram, as brilliant as he is in planning, neglects one essential quality. You know what it is? Faith. He doesn't have faith. Now, remember what God had promised Abram. Remember what God had promised Abram. You see it. In verses 2 and 3 and verse 7. And he gives him these things in this covenantal promise. He says, I'm going to make a great nation from you. There's, you'll have a great name that will prove to be a blessing. In fact, from you, you will bless all the nations of the world. And he promises the land of Canaan. But most importantly... He had promised him honor and protection. Do you see that? Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Right? He's promising and protecting. When it says that God, when when God says, um, I will bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, it's not that God is saying, oh, I'm going to say shame on you. He's going to deal with the person who dishonors Abram. Okay? That's one of his covenant promises. So even though Yahweh had promised him that he would bless the blessers and curse those who crossed him, that is, protect him, Abram still considers it necessary to manipulate and lie in order to accomplish his own safety and the safety of his wife. Abram leaves Canaan, And devises his schemes as if God had not promised anything. Or at least he leaves not believing the promises of God. Now here's what I want you to see. And I think this is essential. Notice instead what the absence of faith produces. What happens when you don't live by faith? Well for Abram, first of all note this. There is a payoff. There is a reward. 
Okay? Abram gets wealthier in the process. All right, look, if you will, at verse uh, 13. Notice what he says. Say, to, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me. Now look at verse 16. And for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. You know what? It did go well for Abram. But the question is, at what cost? (laughs) At what cost? Now, I'm convinced of this. As As I think through this passage and meditated, I'm convinced of something. Here's what it is. A lack of faith leads to the birth of sin. A lack of faith leads to the birth of sin. Now, I imagine, well, I don't know, this is Texas. I don't know if you have gardens down here or not. As I look around at your soil, I don't think you can have gardens. So imagine you're in the Midwest where there are gardens, all right? So in our yard, there are three gardens, all of them which are under the capable um, oversight of my dear wife, Becca, farm girl from Iowa. Sometimes she doesn't get seeds in like one of those gardens. One of the gardens this year she didn't really plant. And so it just laid bare, right? Do you think that happened? She didn't plant anything and so this bare ground was just sitting there? Do you think that's what happened? What happened? Weeds. Weeds grew up. All right? When you do not live by faith, with a vibrant trust in God's promises, sin naturally grows up. Sin will naturally grow up when you don't live by faith. Notice, because Abram did not live by faith, he harvests a boatload of sin. Let's think about this for a moment. There's fear of man. That's incompatible with trusting God. Lying. Thinking of himself above others. Putting others in danger. Silence. When he should have spoken up. See, his lack of faith kept him from protesting Pharaoh's actions. There was the loss of his wife. There's the loss of the voice of God. You notice in the beginning of the chapter, the God appears to him. There's the loss of worship. He's not building altars like he did at the beginning of the chapter. He brings no blessings on others, but what? Affliction. And later, he brings rebuke on himself from a pagan king that obscures the glory of God. All of that happens because he's not living by faith. A lack of faith leads to the birth of sin. Now, if that's what lack of faith looks like, then what would the life of faith look like in this situation? Let's reverse it a bit. Abram would have been truthful about Sarah. Then he would have have to depend on God to protect him. But God had promised him that. If Pharaoh would have left Abram and Sarai alone, or if he had blessed them in some way, God would have blessed Pharaoh. But if Pharaoh would have made any moves towards Sarai, dishonoring Abram, he would have been cursed and Abram's family protected. You say to yourself, but that seems 
impossible. If I was in Abram's shoes, I don't know if I'd do that either. Listen, the essence of faith is believing God's promises when everything looks like it's not going to work that way. You're believing what God has said. You're believing His promises. And at that moment, it may look like, boy, that's really a stretch. Sure it is. But you believe God when it looks like it's impossible. But He said, Abram, if anybody, if anybody dishonors you, I will deal with him. Now, it didn't look like that was going to happen, but God had said it. He needed to believe it. Now, let me ask you, what does a lack of faith look like in your life right now? What does the lack of faith look in your life? What sin do you see in your life because you are not believing, because you do not believe God's promises? Think about that for a moment. Are you full of fear, untruth, and deception? Before I went to Lura, I was working for Brock Bins. Brock Bins are those, I don't know, I've not been to Texas, but do you have those corrugated bins where you store grain? Maybe in East Texas, I don't know. Those big corrugated bins and they put grain in them. I worked for the company that made those. And um, I was loading these roof panels on this um, on this trailer that was going to Thailand. All right? And as, as I walked by the roof panels, uh, I had this pneumatic stapler in my hand. Right? And I accidentally tripped the trigger, and I put a staple through about two of those panels. Now, here's what I'm thinking at the moment. I can't, I, just don't say anything. Don't say anything. Of course, the problem then could also be that when they got those panels to Thailand, they'd have a leak in the bin. But would they trace it to me? Maybe not. Hmm. Now, I also knew this. God has said, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll make sure you have what you need. I was afraid I might lose my job if I said something. Right? At that moment, I can say, I said to my boss, hey, I think I put some holes in the roof panels. And guess what? The Lord provided. I didn't get fired, but the Lord provided. Maybe. Maybe you're plagued by disobedience and disrespect. Maybe some of you young people here or children are are saying, my parents are idiots. Do you have to obey idiots? Yeah, sure do. Sure do. But do you believe that God's working for your good with maybe even parents who are idiots? But see, you don't believe that. You don't believe that God's working for your good. You don't believe that anything good can can come from obeying those overbearing tyrants. And so you disobey. You disrespect. Maybe there's envy and covetousness. Maybe even impurity in your life. Why? You know, you single people, a lot of times, there's a lot of pressure on you, isn't there? And you want to be married. You want to experience that joy. But you don't believe God works for good in your singleness. You're not believing that God's working for your good and for the good of others 
through your single state. You just not believe in that. You believe that something else would be better. You're not trusting God. And so what happens? Impurity. Take whatever sin you can name and trace it all the way back to its roots. And I suggest to you that you will find a lack of faith. You will find somehow you haven't been trusting God. Unless faith grows, sin will blossom. Now, this narrative was first heard by the Israelites as they were making their way to the land of promise. They were making their way to the land of promise. And the only thing they had was the promise of God, which says, I'll give you this land, right? I'm going to give it to you. Believe me, I'm going to give it to you. Could they trust God? Well, what's interesting to me, when you look at this narrative that the Israelites were the first ones to hear after they left Egypt, they would have noticed some interesting parallels. Notice this with me. Like the Israelites, Abram and Sarai came to Egypt because of a famine. That's what Jacob did, right? Came to Egypt because of a famine. Like them, Sarai and Abram were threatened in Egypt. Weren't they threatened? So were Sarai and Abraham. Like them, the promised seed was in danger. If Sarai remained... In Pharaoh's harem, what happens to the promised seed? Nothing. There's no promised seed now. Any children she might have would be his, not Abram's. But notice again, the promised seed wasn't just in danger in this situation, but 400 years later it was in danger again when Pharaoh ordered the death of the male Hebrew children. Right? The seed was in danger then as well. Like the Israelites... God used a plague to deliver Abram and Sarai, right? A plague came on Pharaoh's household. Like the Israelites, Sarai and Abraham left with great wealth supplied by the Egyptians. Same thing happened to the Israelites 400 years later. And like those Israelites, Sarai and Abraham were sent out of the land. Now, why would Moses write this story with those parallels in it, purposely putting that in. It was written for a purpose, to show the people of God that although these events had happened 400 years earlier, God could still be trusted. That He did it back then, He'll do it now. Right? By the way, that also gives you a clue as to why God was really angry with them when they said, we won't cross the Jordan. It's too much. I hope you can see now why God was so angry. Because look at this text. There's precedent. You can trust God. The same God can be trusted. Now, so Moses writes this narrative for you to drive you to the question, can you trust God? Can you trust God? So let's pick it up again in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, 
Here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. God sends a plague or a sickness that overwhelms Pharaoh's house. Quite possibly, we're not sure, he struck everyone except Sarah. Everyone in the household was struck with this sickness, maybe, except for Sarah. And so she has an opportunity to explain to Pharaoh the true nature of the situation. So Pharaoh summons Abraham and rebukes him for what he had done. He expels the family from the kingdom, sending them out with some of his officials. Officials. Now what becomes obvious here is that although Abram did not believe the promises, God remained faithful to the promises. He remained faithful to them, didn't he? Far from safeguarding the promise, Abram's crafty strategy nearly destroyed the whole plan, or so it appears. He was gone from the promised land. Sarai was lost to Pharaoh's harem, looking like she would not bring the promised seed. And instead of blessing the nations, he became a channel of disease and affliction. But what you will see here is that our sin can never thwart the gracious plans of God. Despite Abram's failure, God remained faithful to his promises, did he not? He protected him. Despite Abram's failure, God remained steadfast in accomplishing his purpose, the purpose of blessing the nations through his seed. Guess what? You are here today because God was faithful in this instance centuries ago. God protected the seed. The seed who then is Christ. And you are here because of that. All right? You can trust God because nothing will keep him from fulfilling his plan of salvation. The God who called the universe into existence by the mere breath of his word will not be foiled by the blundering help of his human servants. Okay? Circumstances, folly, and even sin cannot stand in the way of God's purpose to bless the nations through Abram's seed. Now maybe you think that you've botched it so badly that God's purposes have been frustrated. You think that might be the case with you? Maybe you're saying, I've blown it at work. Maybe you've said, hey, I've really blew it with my children. Now what? Maybe you think you'll never be suitable for any kind of ministry. But you cannot frustrate the grace of God. You cannot frustrate the grace of God. So is the lesson here that you can be lazy or fudge dif- difficult situations, God's going to win anyway? Is, is that the lesson? No. No. The lesson is that God's fame is spread when His people live by faith. Let's face it. We are the ones 
who ought to look radically different because we don't live life in light of what reality is, but in light of what the promises of God say. And God's going to bring Abram face to face with difficulties over and over again until he learns to live by faith. He's like the trainer that brings the horse up to the up to the fence and he keeps bringing him and bringing him and bringing him until finally the horse goes over. Right? Now look, here's the deal. We all live in a gap. You know what that gap is? Here's reality. Here's the promises of God. And we live in that gap. If I tell the truth, I may lose my job. Promise. I promise that if you seek my kingdom and and its righteousness, you will have everything that you need. Right? I'll get this promotion if I agree that I can be on the road four to five days a week. There's joy in your family and in raising them and teaching them and leading them. This marriage seems like it's going to kill me. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. My neighbors are always trying to take advantage of me. God says, peace can be yours if you return good for evil and bless them when they curse you. My body aches all the time because of this chronic illness. And God promises joy as you look forward to the resurrection when you have a body that will never deteriorate and never feel pain again. You know what? Someone else lived between the gap or lived in the gap between promises and reality. The one who was promised all the nations as his inheritance came to his own people and they did not receive him. The exalted son of man pictured sitting on a throne of judgment in Daniel chapter 7 was himself judged by the Sanhedrin and condemned to death. Unlike Abraham, who lied to save his life, Jesus told the truth and lost his. The one who promised to rule the nations with a rod of iron was himself scourged by the Romans. The only sinless one in all of human history was lifted up on the cross and condemned as a criminal. Hmm. How did he do it? Because he knew the promise of God that there would be joy at the right hand of God. He believed that promise. And he lived in that gap by faith. And you must live by faith, trusting God's promises every day. And the only reason you can do that is because Jesus lived in that gap. And he died to empower you to live in the same way. Because of his faithfulness, you now have the power to live by faith. And you can count on the promises of God. You know why? 
because God raised Jesus from the dead, declaring that everything that he had promised will come to pass. You can trust the God of Abraham because he is the God of Jesus. Father, I pray that your word will have found a resting place in hearts today. We have to confess to you that like Abram, we, our faith falters too many times. But how we thank you that you will continue to test us and use means to build that faith. But above all, we thank you for our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus, who lived faithfully his entire life believing your promises. And because of that, we can live by faith as his death, as his death empowers us to live like him. God, would you help us to be a distinctive people through faith? Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name.